Also, tonight after service, a couple of things I, I, I remembered after I got down to bring up. I do need to meet with uh, uh, Brother Martin, Brother Barnhill, Brother June, uh, uh, Jacob McDonald, and Levi, my son Levi. I need to meet in my office just for a couple minutes right after church. I need to meet with you all. Also, next Sunday, I forgot to announce as well, next Sunday with us all day is Brother Summerdorf. Brother Summerdorf will be in town, and so he will be with us um, all day next Sunday. Brother Dave Summerdorf. And uh, let's see. All right, first, let me get there. First Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> I'm going to focus on one verse, but I'm going to read a couple of verses here. This is this section here of these first couple of verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is really my favorite portion, I think, of the book of 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> and anyhow, it says... And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declared unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm going to focus on that verse. But let's read verse 3 and 4 here. And I, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. You've got to read verse 5 too then. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word. Lord, I ask your blessing now upon this message, Lord. I pray that you'd be glorified and honored. Lord, I pray that it would, it would stir us, uh, Lord, to have a, a desire to know you better. Lord, so as I, as I speak, I pray that you would direct my words and may work on minds and hearts uh, as to the importance of knowledge of you. So, Lord, please bless. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. We were at, out door knocking yesterday for VBS. And we had this little girl. She comes tomorrow. Her name was Blair. She was probably four or five years old. This little girl, she was there with her grandmother. And uh, they were outside messing around a little bit and we came up on their trailer and and uh, so I started talking with the grandmother and I let her know I want to in, invite her, her granddaughter there to VBS and Blair was really sweet talking I said what is your name she said my name is Blair and uh, and the grandmother's explained well I'd have to talk to her mom her mom doesn't live quite here and so but Blair interrupted she said well what's VBS and uh, and I said I'll bet your grandmother used to go to one when she was small and so I asked Grandma, I said, did you ever go to a VBS? She said, I did when I was younger. And, and so Blair said, well, what is it? I said, well, it's where you learn things from the Bible and about God. And I said, it's fun. We have some games and food. And she's telling her grandmother, I want to go. I want to go to that. And one of the reasons that we go out, we have VBS not only for our children, bring children is, is because of the importance of the knowledge of God. It far exceeds any other knowledge you can come across. The church at Corinth is a great example of this. We know about the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth had many problems. They had division. They had strife. They had gross sin in the church. They had serious problems in their worship service. Even how they conducted their worship service wasn't right. They had pride issues in the church. Now, such as with the sign gifts, and, and they really believed, as Paul's going to state, that they were full of wisdom. In other words, the church at Corinth was actually blind to their true condition. They thought they were the church. They're the ones that demonstrated more grace. 
mean, you get that in a, when you get into chapter 5 when Paul has to deal with open sin that they refuse to deal with in the church. I mean, they, they thought they were a great example of what a church should be. And here's Paul writing to them and saying, no, you, you really got this wrong. You think you're full of wisdom, but you're not. You're actually an incredibly carnal church. And he comes into chapter 2 at what his approach was when he was there. He said, you need to remember when I was there in Corinth, when I was preaching. He said, I came not through the excellency of speech or of wisdom declared unto you the testimony of God. In other words, he wasn't making this big show of his great wisdom that he has. Because that's what's taking place down in this church. Their pride and it's, the sins of the flesh are in control. And he said, when I was there, verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what I did. He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. It wasn't some prideful show of my knowledge and my wisdom before you. My speech and my preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So in order to straighten out the carnality that he's seen, or he's laying a foundation in chapter 2 for how to go about this, for how to help this church. And he reminds them of his approach going back to the very beginning, when he was there in person. He says, listen, when I was there, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Today our churches are really in the same condition. They think they're wise. They think they have great knowledge. But the truth is, we're missing the most important knowledge. This, what I hope to do with this message is when I get into these points here in just a minute, is just to try and encourage you to learn of God. To get into His Word and learn of Him. To see the value that's in it. Because I believe we see it laid out here. Today, even in, our, in this world, we see man seeking knowledge and it appears as if we have really progressed in the, in the ways of knowledge. I mean, that's pretty much undeniable. I mean, what we have seen take place as far as knowledge and understanding in the past hundred years really is incredible. I mean, I mean to have compared 1920 to 2020, knowledge has increased. I mean... Just look at what technology is doing. I mean, it's, it's incredible. But think, even though all this, this type of knowledge is increased, has the culture progressed or regressed? We're seeing cultures heading back into idolatry, back into pagan. We're seeing the number one rise in religion today is atheism and agnosticism. Something's wrong. We're missing the most important knowledge of all, and that of Jesus Christ. With all the progress we made, all the, all the knowledge that has been gained, we're going backwards and not forwards. Think of the rise in violence, hatred, crime, immorality. It's risen to greater levels. We're gaining understanding in the different sciences and mathematics, but why we're doing that, we're leaving off entirely the most important knowledge of all. The one that really matters. And that's knowledge of God. Even those many times who have some knowledge of God, it is 
small or it's skewed. The devil's great at trying to twist your knowledge and what you know of God or know of Christ. He wants to twist it because there's power in it. We're, we're going to see some of that. I mean, I mean, again, your view of God and what you know of God affects how you respond to God. I mean, in one of the largest religions under the banner of Christianity in the world with one billion, the Catholic Church, and many times Jesus is portrayed as a baby in a manger being held by his mother. It's just one of the angles he's portrayed, but that's a prominent way that he's portrayed. Does that affect their view of God? Certainly it does. I've been there. Matter of fact, that mother you can pray to. You can pray to that mother that's holding that baby. It affects it. How about in evangelical circles? Oh, you better believe it. Let's take a look at Saddleback Church in California. That used to be Saddleback Baptist Church, by the way. It used to be much more grounded than what it is. Going back to the 70s, of course. Things began to change. I think they were Baptist off the name in the late 80s, if I remember right. Pastored by Rick Warren. <clears throat> I remember reading, uh, I don't know which, he, he wrote several prominent books. I haven't read many of his. I read one of his older ones, was actually excellent before all the changes took place. wrote a book on dynamic Bible study methods. I think I read that when I was 19 years old. It was excellent. But things began to change dramatically in the church. The structure, the worship. And he wrote a couple of popular ones, the 40-day series that he did, of course. And there's, there's whole even sets of counseling based on this that is just incredible the direction it went. But I remember reading, reading uh, one, I remember which one it was. I was reading uh, one of those, and, and he was talking about Christ if he was here on the earth today. And I'm reading this, and I really could not believe how he portrayed him. And, but then it made sense. I'm like, this is how he views God. That's evident by how he approaches God. Because he views God in this light, he has no problems in the way that he's approaching God. Because how you view God is so important. It does affect how you approach him. And man loves to create God in his own image. And that's what was done there. I remember he talked about him, he would just be chilled out with a Hawaiian shirt on. I'm like, this is the holy, almighty God. And he was trying to draw comparisons between Christ on the earth back then. And he was not doing it justice. And it might have been out of ignorance, I don't know, but he's not an ignorant man. I will say that. But he wasn't doing it justice for the culture of Christ's time of that day. But again, how you view God affects how you approach God. He tried to betray him basically as a cool God. He's really cool. You know, that's borderline blasphemous right there. It is. Again, your car might be cool. Your, 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 your new sunglasses might be cool. But don't put God Almighty in that same category. <clears throat> the world sees Christ in different ways today. Some see Him as just a teacher, so that's how they approach Him. Some see him as a liar. Some see him as a fraud. Some see him as a hippie. Some see him as a cultural revolutionary. It's usually, it's usually whatever's sort of important to them, that's how they want to view him. 
If they don't want to accept him at all, just want to reject all of it, they know standard morality, oh, he was a fraud, he didn't even exist. He was a liar. It usually reflects, again, how you want to view God. But it has to be based on truth. So the devil will do what he can to distort man's knowledge of Jesus Christ, of God. He wants that twisted. The Bible is a book about Jesus Christ. I mean, we see him literally in every single book of the Bible, all 66 books. He's there. In every single one of them. So, let me dive into this. I just got a few points here tonight and we'll go home. Why is this so important? Really, that's the primary one. I'm just going to give sub-points off this one. I think we'll go home. Why is this so important? Number one, let's start off with one that trumps all the others. It is because it is this knowledge that leads directly to eternal salvation. It is. You can get your doctorate in physics, but that knowledge is not going to lead you to salvation. You need to learn of Christ. I remember I had a young guy who was highly educated, um, very sincere, and he loved, to, he loved to impress with his knowledge. I mean, he'd studied a lot, and so that, that's going to lead to that if that happens many times. And so he liked to impress with the knowledge, level of knowledge that he had. He was lost as anything. We're talking just on a secular sense, and, and that was it. And, and uh, he began to notice when working that I, I really just wasn't all that impressed with it. And so he, he actually came and asked me about it. It bothered him. It surprised me. It bothered him. And, and, and I was kind. I'm going to use different words here, but I, I, didn't, I wasn't abrupt or rude. But it was basically, let him know I'm not impressed with it. And, and let him know, you're, you're missing the most important knowledge of all. And then tying that into, listen, one day, you're going to die. That's going to happen. All this knowledge you have is going to vanish. It's going to be gone. It's not going to matter for anything when you die. Nothing. And telling him, you have missed the most important knowledge of all. You see, you can have your Ivy League education. You can understand the different sciences with the best of them. You can have a great understanding of economics. You might even better understand women. That was funny right there. Throw that in there. But none of that will lead you to salvation. None of it. The most important knowledge of all is that of Jesus Christ. I think the words of what Christ said himself, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I mean, think about it. Let's say you had that opportunity. I had this guy. It never worked out for him. He, he wasn't the brightest bulb on the tree. He was a nice, he was a nice guy. We were in the Air Force together. And uh, his name was Van Buskirk. And, and uh, he, was, he came in one day, and he just had a dictionary open for several days straight. Just a great big, probably a Webster's dictionary. I don't remember which one it was. And it was like he was just reading the dictionary. Well, finally, I got curious. It was like day three of this. And, uh, and I said, are you reading the dictionary? And he said, I am. I was like, wow, I said, I've never met anybody just to read a dictionary. I said, well, what are you doing? He said, I've come to the conclusion that it's, it's going to be key to getting wealth. He said, he said, he read somewhere that if anybody had the full knowledge of all the words in the dictionary, it would lead to this wealth somehow. I don't, I don't remember how he put it. It was along that essence. So he's actually taking the time to go through the dictionary and try and learn every single word in the English language. Complete and utter vanity. 
is all that was. And let's say you could do it. Let's say you could give, you can have all the knowledge, all that, but you're lacking the knowledge of God. I mean, just think about it for a second. By the way, I'm talking to the Sunday night crowd here. We're the ones who has this knowledge. And yet, many times, we fail to see the greatness and the importance of the knowledge that we're possessing. I mean, you can have all that, but again, when you die, it doesn't matter. That rich man's still burning in hell. He would trade away anything of a secular life to trade places with the beggar that was at his door. The Apostle Paul had great knowledge. I mean, incredible schooling. Brilliant mind. But you know what he recognized when he realized who Christ was? That knowledge alone? Everything I knew before, it was just nothing but dung. Nothing. It was all rubbish. Really, knowing what I know now of who Christ is, that's what matters. And so he's even telling the church here to try and get them back because they're so calm, they're so filled with pride, there's fighting, there's sin, there's issues. He said, listen, please remember when I was there. Do you know what I focused on? Jesus Christ. His knowledge. Knowing God. He's trying to get them back to that point. So, Number one, the reason why the knowledge of Christ is so important, because it is only that knowledge that leads to salvation. Number two, look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Well, look at verse 5 for context. Paul dealing with it, the battles of his ministry and what, what he went through. But 5 is important. Verse 5. <clears throat> For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. So, he, again, he's stressing what he focused on with his preaching is Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, I, we are your servants for Christ's sake. Because of the knowledge I have in because I know about God, this is what I'm preaching to you, this is why I'm a servant. He begins to list the trials and struggles that he went through. Everything. Troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest. It's all around Christ, everything he's doing. He gets down to verse 17. <clears throat> Again, everything's about Christ. That knowledge. <clears throat> verse 14, deal with more knowledge about Christ. I mean, he's, he's elaborating on that. It's the focus of it. It's, it's what he said in verse 2, what I'm trying back in, uh, in, in the first book, of what he's trying to get him back to. Verse 17, he says this, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What this knowledge led to Paul was this conclusion. This knowledge allowed him to be able to focus on eternal things and not on temporal things. I assure you that's a problem we struggle with in today's churches focusing so much on temporal things and not eternal things. 
What put Paul in a position with all he was experiencing as a servant of Christ uh, was the knowledge that he had of Christ. It's that. It, it wasn't just some magic boof that God did in his mind that now I can focus on the eternal, not the temporal. That's not it. It was, it was his knowledge of Christ. He had all these trials, everything that he was going through, but he was able to focus on the eternal. The fact is, the trials were temporal, he recognized this, but understand this, so is everything else of this world. It is temporal. One day your career will be over with. Somebody else will be in your position at work. That's what's going to happen. Somebody else will be in your job at work. That's going to happen one day. One day, one day your bank account is going to be empty. It's going to be gone. I don't care how much is in it, one day it's going to be gone. And if you have a, 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 you know, we can go on and on. Whether it's your career, whether that knowledge, all of a sudden you find yourself with a common disease of our day of dementia. That one scares me to death. All of a sudden my knowledge vanishing away. Just leaving. All, all the years that, just, just leaving. <clears throat> but there is something that will last forever, the knowledge of Christ. You're not going to bring your bank account with you. You're not going to bring your career with you when you die. What's going to matter is what you've done for Christ. That's what's really going to matter in the end. And again, it's having that knowledge. As Paul saying, listen, I understood who Christ was. I was given my life for Him. I got it. It was allowing me to focus on the eternal, not just simply on the temporal. <clears throat> he was devoting his life to that end. Let's go over to another epistle of Paul. Go over to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians, chapter 1. It's in this knowledge you need to determine. Okay, one, we know, as we determine, I'm going to know God. It starts with salvation. You learn what Christ did, who He is, what He did to save you. It leads to salvation. It begins to help you in life as you learn more of Him and more of Him. You, the, the all His, the awesomeness of who God is. It begins to put you in a place in your mind where you can begin to focus on the eternal and not on the temporal. That begins to affect your life. And what we're going to see here now with Paul as he elaborates the knowledge of Christ. And now it allowed him to fulfill his true purpose in life. It was clear. Look at verse... Well, I could start earlier. Let me, let me just read verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul talked about in verse 20 about his purpose of magnifying the Lord, whether by life or by death. See, true purpose in life is not in your medical degree. It's not in your... Not, we got, it's, Tim, it's, it's not a knowledge of plumbing. No. There's not great happiness there. It's not going to last. There's no plumbers needed in heaven. I'm sorry. <laughs> this ad brought to you by Victory Drain. <laughs> you're paying for that ad. All right. <laughs> if we're paying for your plumbing, you're paying for that ad, brother. You know that? <laughs> I don't know where I'm at now. It leads to your true purpose. Now, we have different avenues that can serve as a means to an end for us. All right? For instance, we need solid, strong Christians that are plumbers, that do own businesses, that are in the military, that are police officers, that are in the medical field. We need that. There's no question about it. But please understand this. And, and, and godly parents, moms and dads, who are giving this up for their kids, but, but there's something wrong when all of a sudden you hear somebody say, I found my purpose in life. And we're talking about a Christian speaking. In... in 
in being a mom. In, or a man, in, in, in being a plumber. It's my purpose in life. No, you're elevating something that has no business elevating, and that deals with your knowledge of God. It does. What you begin to see as you grow more and more knowledge of Christ is that it is about Him, and that's your purpose in life. Everything else flows to that end. That the reason why you want to be a great parent is because of Christ. The reason why you want to be the best at business you can be is because of Christ. He's the motivation because He's the purpose of life. You make it all about your kids, guess what they do when they get older? They leave. They grow up and they leave. What then? What then? All of a sudden the economy crashes and Tim has to shut down his plumbing business. If that's his whole purpose in life, he's crushed. The purpose is God. It's Him. And again, what leads to that, what we see in Scripture, is the more you learn of Christ, the more you learn of God, the more you learn of Him. It leads you to, to draw these conclusions for yourself in your mind. Life is all about God. <clears throat> Fourthly, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 57 and 58, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, because of what we have, the victory in Christ, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This knowledge leads you to work Something you're spending your energy towards that is not in vain. Now, there's times that I've done things that have just been completely in vain. And it gets, it's incredibly frustrating. Um, I remember one time my kids did something really, really, it was complete in vain. They were playing, how many know the game of Risk? Everybody play that game? It's very involved if you played it. It takes a while to set up and everything. It, 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 it's annoying just to set the thing up. It takes so time. But then you're, 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 you're playing it. You've got your armies everywhere. You're in the middle of this dramatic game. So I'm watching all... They used to play it a lot. So all my kids are playing it, the, the, the four of them. They're in the middle of this serious game. And, and Levi walks up, and he's like 12, 13 months. You know, hardly walking. And they have the board set up, I think, like an ottoman thing in the living room there. And they're all sitting around out there playing. And Levi walks up and goes, Poof! and there goes all the armies. So Levi played God and destroyed the world. But all the effort they did, of course, was just vanity. It was nothing. It's frustrating when that happens. It's frustrating when all of a sudden you're, you're putting... I can think of times I put thousands into a vehicle in New Guinea to get it running and just to have it go bad again. Vanity. Nothing but vanity. And that's true regardless of something just, you know, finishes in, in two weeks that you're working on or whether it's 20 years. You know, time goes fast, doesn't it? It goes really fast. Your life is as a vapor. appears for a while and vanishes away. You begin to see when you look back, and I'm 52 years old, I can look back and I can see the areas of vanity, that things that just really didn't matter. And 
But it's in this knowledge that leads to your work not being in vain in the Lord. All work, regardless of how good it is, can be vanity. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Give your body to be burned. I mean, it lists some great works right there, but the truth is, if the motivation wasn't right, which is, again, he's given knowledge of God there, it's vanity. You can take the world's greatest philanthropist, which is probably Bill Gates, I would imagine, but if his work is apart from Christ, it's vanity. Lastly, let me, let me finish with this and then what are a thought in closing I'm going to give? It is in this knowledge, as you learn of God, you desire Him, genuinely Him to grow and to learn of Him, that it's why you're reading your Bible, why you want to pray. You desire that fellowship. You want to know Him. It begins to affect you. It begins to change you. You actually have a biblical, appropriate view of God based in truth. It, 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 again, it's, it's almost like the teen trip coming up, wanting to see more truth of who God is, to say, wow, this is what I want. He's the one that life is all about. It's in this knowledge that you can affect genuine change in your life. The truth is, it's hard to change. We can all get into habits and things that just hold us that we want different. Listen, this is one of the keys to change. It supplies that motivation behind it that's the strongest possible. Paul knew that in order for this church to genuinely change, to have, to, to have a, 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 a dynamic shift take place, he understood what they had to get back. He said, remember when I was there, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It wasn't with excellency of speech. It wasn't with me demonstrating wisdom before you. It was about Christ. And he said, this is what you've got to get back to. Him. It's here you'll find the strength to be able to change. To be the father you need to be. To be the mother you need to be. To be the husband you need to be. To be the wife you need to be. The manners you need to be. The worker you need to be. On and on and on. It's in that. It's in that. Now, to finish this up, I want to, in conclusion, talk about one key word that Paul did give. Determine. Determine. There has to come a, a place where you determine this is what I'm going to do. That you don't straddle the fence. That you get off the fence. You determine, no, this is what I need to do. This is what I'm going to do. Get your eyes off the world and on Christ. To determine means not just to know historical facts, but you determine, I want to know Him. It's kind of like Paul said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him in the fellowship of His suffering. That's what he wanted. And that just didn't mean... Factual. It meant by experience. That word means by experience. So it's something that you have to determine to do. It just doesn't happen on its own. It just doesn't happen because it's preached. Okay, I would like that. That, that sounds good. You have to determine. Then put things in place to make it happen. And it starts with simple things. It, it doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to go enroll in seminary. You don't have to do that. You don't. It can start tomorrow morning. 
It can start when, you, when, you, when, you're, when you're going through your Bible, looking to actually learn more, where it's not like we talked this morning, just checking your box. Where it's, no, I, I want to learn more of Him. Increasing that relationship, that, that will change how you approach church. When all of a sudden, now, you see the preaching of the Word of God from a different angle. Because that's dangerous. Familiarity can destroy us. It just becomes common. But to try and understand how God wants to use it in your life. To learn more of Him. To have a right view of God and who He is. You must determine you must determine to do this. Listen, many temptations, many things are going to come in the way to try and pull you from this knowledge or skew this knowledge that you have. Determine. Oh, I want to know Him. With heads bowed and eyes closed.